Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Marx's Voice. Uh, I'm Adam Booth, your host for tonight, the editor of Socialist.net. And for those who've never tuned in before, Socialist.net is what brings you a Marxist voice, uh, the podcast of Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. Uh, If you're not already, obviously go over to all our social media channels, give us a like and subscribe, uh, and obviously subscribe to the podcast Marxist Voice on any major platform in order to get future episodes with interviews, theory, history and current events and analysis. And obviously head over to socialist.net if you want to get more involved in the fight for socialism. Uh, And in order to help us, you can support us by subscribing, donating or, of course, joining Socialist Appeal over there. Um, Tonight, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, some unprecedented events that have been taking place over the last couple of weeks in Britain. A massive movement against racism, against police violence that's erupted onto the streets across the whole of the UK in response to the, uh, the events over in America with the murder of George Floyd and the police brutality and the protests that we've seen there. But more than that, really, striking a chord with youth in, in Britain who've come out, despite the pandemic, uh, onto the streets to protest against all of these injustices and inequalities. And tonight we're going to be joined by Fiona Lali, the national organiser of the Marxist Student Federation, who's going to be talking to us about the protests in Britain, about the Black Lives Matter movement in Britain, its effects, why we're seeing such a huge movement over here in the UK, and most importantly, what the way forward is in the fight against racism and for socialism. So without further ado, let me bring in Fiona. Hang on one sec. Hi, Fiona. Can you hear us okay? Hi. Yeah, I can. How are you? Yeah, good to see you. Nice to see you. How are you doing in lockdown? Are you okay? Yeah, not bad. Same as everyone, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us tonight to discuss uh, about these, these massive protests we've seen. As I was just saying to the audience a minute ago, these are really unprecedented uh, you know, events that we're seeing in terms of the size and the scope of these uh, protests, these demonstrations. Uh, we've had reports in uh, to Socialist.net from, uh, from activists, supporters across the country, and all of them have described these protests as being some of the biggest uh, that they've seen in, in history, basically, in, in some small towns, but also obviously in the big cities, in Manchester, Bristol, in London as well. You've seen huge protests. And I just want to start then, I guess, by asking you what you think these protests represent, because the Tories have tried to claim that these are just solidarity protests, nothing more, just uh, in response to the events in, in America, to the racism in America. Do you think that's true? or Do you think these represent something deeper than that? 
Yeah, well, I think that, well, I guess, first of all, it's so encouraging um, to see the scope of these protests as far as they've gone all throughout lots of different towns and, and places in the UK. And the size of them is, is evidence to the contrary of what the Tories are saying, right? We had Matt Hancock, he did come out and say that, um, exactly as he said, that these protests are, are just about the USA, but they've got nothing to do with the UK. Um, yet on these protests, one of the biggest chants is the UK is not innocent. Because I think that, you know, when that video of George Floyd first went viral and it went all around the world and people were disgusted with, with what they could see. And I think in the UK and in other places, unfortunately, that video matches up to the experiences of a lot of black people in the UK, as well as in other places. And, and in that video, I'm sure a lot of black people could see themselves and, and, and they felt a connection with, with what they could see and an anger and an injustice. And that is why we've seen such incredible, incredible protests, because racism is, of course, a deep rooted issue in Britain. You know, as Marxists, we we understand racism as a, as a tool that's used by capitalists, it's used by the capitalist system to divide the working class first and foremost. And Britain is, of course, a capitalist imperialist state. So it's going to use racism, it's going to use that tool in the exact same way, um, well, in the same way that we see America use it. It's true that I think there are plenty of forms that racism can take and it manifests itself in, in many different ways. Um, and, and it might not be exactly the same in, in terms of the number of deaths that we see in the UK in comparison to America, but it's really not the point, right? One death is more than enough at the hands of the state. And if we, when we add the layer of racism to it, I think it, it's quite clear because, I mean, Malcolm X, um, Malcolm X said it best. He said that you can't have capitalism without racism. And so, of course, it exists in Britain and people feel that very acutely. And, and so, you know, yes, we have solidarity with George Floyd and all of the victims of police brutality in America, but also the victims of the UK. And another thing that we see on these protests is not just the name of George Floyd, but the names of UK victims as well, people such as Mark Duggan and, and various others who, who, who were killed by, by police officers in this country. And, and I think we've seen an explosion of that anger and George Floyd, um, yeah, acted as a for something much bigger that exists in, in the UK as well. And, and you touched on there that Britain has obviously its own imperialist past and present, uh, full of all sorts of race, racial injustices, in particularly obviously slavery and uh, imperialism, colonialism. And one of the big events we saw over the weekend yesterday was this toppling of the statue of, uh, of Edward uh, Coulson, uh, and uh, he, this was a, a 17th century slave trader who, uh, who, who obviously made his, his, his wealth out of the slave trade. And activists in Bristol, thousands of activists gathered yesterday to topple this statue, rolling it down the streets, being cheered along the way and then throwing it into the, uh, into the River Avon, uh, where it belongs, frankly. And... Um, in response, we've seen the Tories describe this as utterly disgraceful behaviour. Boris Johnson, Priti Patel, they've all come out denouncing this, condemning this this so-called vandalism. Uh, even the Blairites have come out as well and, and Keir Starmer showing very equivocal kind of response. 
Um, but what do you think this says, this, this, the, the fact that we have these statues in the UK based on slavery, based on this racial past, uh, racist past, what, what do you think that says about the UK's own racist history and also about the attitude of the Tories today, the fact that they take the side of, uh, you know, of, of, of the people represented by, on, in these statues rather than the protesters? What do you think that says about British society, British history and, and where we're at today in Britain? Yeah, well, I suppose it shows the truth of British history and British society. I think there is a, a misguided sense of, of moral superiority um, that you see often in the media, uh, particularly in, in Britain, in the way they report on racism in America. Um, and, and, and from the point of view of, of what the Tories have already said, oh, this is an American issue. America is racist, but not us. And yet the that incredible video of the statue being pulled down and thrown into into the river was was amazing it's amazing scene to watch because not only did you know you see thousands of people come together a really symbolic act i would say um you know tearing down that statue and throwing it away but the police couldn't do anything right the police just stood by and watched it take place and and the reason it's important for us to to understand the significance of that act is we're surrounded by statues and, and figures like this all the time. Imagine what it's like for a black person walking past that statue every single day on their way to work, on their way home from work. And, and it's not just that statue. Um, there's other examples all over the country. Uh, uh, Roads Must Fall is a big campaign that's been going on in Oxford for a really long time. Uh, there's a statue of Cecil Rhodes. There's various streets that are named after in Liverpool and in Scotland. And there's a castle in Wales as well. All of these places, these monuments to slavery, right? To the real history of the ruling class of Britain and, and how they've, they've accumulated their wealth, which is on the backs of, of slaves and, and through slavery and through colonialism. In Parliament Square, in fact, there is a statue to um, Sir Robert Peel, who was the Prime Minister in, at some point in the 19th century. And he was the founder of the Metropolitan Police Service, although um, I think he founded it whilst he was Home Secretary. Uh, but, but either way, and he was also uh, very strongly against a growing movement at the time that was trying to, a bill had been introduced to start to abolish slavery. And, and he was very opposed to this. And so we're surrounded by these monuments to slavery and, and this history of racism and the subjugation of black people. And yet the Tories come on to, you know, the TV, Matt Hancock comes up, oh, we don't have racism here. That's an American issue. And, and they're just denying it and denying it. And I think, I think part of the reason they deny it is partly because of what we saw happen in Bristol. They fear that reaction from people, thousands of people rising up to overthrow this rottenness, this, this evil of racism that exists in society. But when they deny it in the way that they do, all they do is entrench it further. It's, it's a festering problem and they're refusing to look at it. Imagine you went to a doctor and you had an open gaping wound and the doctor was just like, oh, it's not there. No, you don't, you don't have that wound. Uh, not only do you not have the wound, but actually it's your fault. It's your fault you're in pain. And the weird thing about this analogy as well is that it's the doctor, as in it's the capitalists, who've created the problem in the first place. They're the ones mm. who use racism as a tool to divide people. And, and I think that is the, so the significance of that statue being brought down, I don't think can be understated. And the, the, the constant denial from the Tories as well is really glaring, especially in the face of Boris Johnson, who mm. 
I think in recent times is is undeniably one of the most racist prime ministers, at least on record, right? It's one thing to say things behind closed door, which I'm sure loads of Tories and, mm. and other and other people do, but to publicly in articles and speeches um, speak about people in the way he does. Obviously, he, you know, he called Muslim women letterboxes and he knows exactly what he's doing when he makes those comments. It's not off the cuff. And we've seen the consequences of that hate crime has gone up um, towards Muslims in the last couple of years. It's been soaring uh, in various other articles. You know, he's spoken about the benefits of colonialism and, and, and all these other things. So we know exactly who the Tories are and we know what they represent. We know the history of, 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 of their class more than anything. Um, and and, and so, so their hypocrisy is really, I think, actually gonna spur this movement on. You'll notice also in the language that they use, uh, a lot of them have come out and called the, the protesters, uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters thugs, which has obviously incredibly racist undertones and and it's deliberate right the tories aren't aren't stupid and they're not just simply evil individuals either preeti patel knows exactly what racism is because it's not about individuals really at the end of the day and i'm sure she's experienced enough racism actually in the tory party herself but she comes out and makes those comments saying that the the protests have been subverted by thuggish behavior because she's a representative of, a, of the capitalist class, which requires racism and has built it into the fabric of society. And I think that's really what we have to understand um, in, in, in how this has kind of come about in society. And I guess just lastly on that, because you mentioned Keir Starmer and his response, which mm. has been, um, you know, well, there hasn't really been a response. The response is pathetic, right? It's basically mm. that, oh, the, the statue shouldn't have come down, you know, in that way which is just, it's not good enough. He should be backing this. The labor movement should be calling for every single statue that celebrates slavery and celebrates fundamentally the division of the working class and that misery and subjugation. The labor movement should be at the forefront of bringing all of those statues down. And that includes the statue of Churchill, which I saw was also decorated um, <laughs> in a nice way to, well, to refer to him as a racist essentially. Yeah, I think it, le it definitely looked a lot better after uh, the activists had uh, done some decorating, as you say. Um, now, one of the things we noticed at the weekend, I was at the demo on Saturday, and it was very clear that a lot of the focus is about the question of police violence, pr police repression, brutality. Obviously, the, the name George Floyd uh, being said a lot and others who suffered uh, murderous, uh, you know, murder and killings at the hands of the police. But this isn't something unique to the US either, is it? This is something that the UK has its own history of. So can you just tell viewers a little bit about, you know, what kind of history Britain has in terms of this kind of police violence? It's not just in America where there's guns all floating around that we see this. This is something we see very much in the UK as well. Is that right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think you know, it's often presented as it's okay because Britain doesn't really have guns um, and, and therefore we have less police brutality. Um, and, you know, the point is, like I said earlier, one death is enough. And there is a history of police violence that has caused deaths, um, particularly against uh, black people, working class black people in this country. Mark Duggan is, is one of the most famous examples. 
Um, but even less heard of people, uh, there was a man in Scotland called Sheku Bayou who was also killed um, by the police. Uh, a man called Rashan Charles, who just a few years ago um, was, was killed after being chased down by police. I think that took place in Hackney, actually. And there are, there are many more. I mean, Mark Duggan is, is the most famous because, uh, you know, his killing is what sparked the London riots, of course. And it's hard to collate all the statistics for all of these things, but I do know that in, in 2017, there were 17 cases in which force was used that resulted in the death of the person that the police were handling. And out of those 17 cases, nine people were white and eight people were black. This is information that's specific to England and Wales, just as a, as a caveat. But what that means, that division between nine white people and eight black people, is that the proportion of black people that are dying after the use of force or restraint is higher than the proportion of black people that are, are in England and Wales. And so when we say that the, the police force is institutionally racist, it's not just a vague you know, statement that we're making. We can, we can look at the, the statistics that show this. And, and I think black people can feel this in their day-to-day -day lives. There's so many statistics around stop and search. You're three times more likely to be, to be stopped um, in, in London, right? Which is supposed to be a, a mosaic of, of ethnic diversity and, and kind of beyond these things. But, but that's not the case. And this, you know, racism and prejudice, we see replicated in the sentencing that's given. Obviously, black people face harsher sentencing measures as well um, for, than, you know, in comparison to, to their white counterpart. And so there's all this violence that takes place. But I would say it even goes beyond that. I mean, Stephen Lawrence is someone that, that needs to be mentioned because the, the murder of Stephen Lawrence was a, was a bit of a turning point, you could say because uh, there was a report that was done uh, about the police after after his death. So Stephen Lawrence was a young black man who was murdered. He was stabbed to death by a group of young white men. It was a completely racially motivated attack. And the McPherson report established that there was institutionalized racism within the police force after this, because although that case is not specifically about police violence, it took 18 years for um, Stephen Lawrence's murderers to be found guilty. And not only that, but the report revealed that an undercover, an undercover officer had infiltrated the, the campaign that Stephen Lawrence's family had set up. It was an anti-racist campaign to try and spy on them and find dirt on the Lawrence family to try and prove that, you know, somehow I suppose that this young black man was deserving of the, of the fate that he suffered. And we see this happen all the time. There's, a, there's a, another good Malcolm X quote where he says, if you're not careful, newspapers will have you hating the people who are oppressed and loving the oppressors. And the police really perpetuate this and they do it because they've got the helping hand of the media, because the media are on their side, because the, the, the media is owned by the capitalists, right? And they have certain interests they're trying to protect. And I would say with the case of Mark Duggan, there was a really clear example of this. When Mark Duggan was shot, unlawfully, of course, and with this violence by from the police officers. The photograph that they used to report on this, you know, showed him in a really menacing way. He was this young, aggressive black man, you know, the conclusion of which is therefore it was okay that he, de he deserved to die, he was a gangster. And the photo was cropped and he was actually, it's actually a photo from the funeral of his daughter, from mm. the funeral of his daughter, right? Mm. So we can understand why he's not smiling in that picture. Mm. Regardless, it sets a tone 
And all of these things work in, you know, they work hand in hand because they're owned by the capitalists and they're, they're protecting a certain image. And, and it's important for us to understand that because what that does is divide the workers. It's all well and good if the rest of the working class can, can see, okay, someone's been shot, but he deserved it because he was black. And that is how they use it. That is how the capitalists use racism in the media to divide the workers. And they've done this throughout history, right? We saw them portray the miners as, as thugs. We saw them portray Hillsborough fans after that incident as thugs. And they use, they're using racism in the exact same way. The media is not on our side because it's a capitalist media. And I think it's important for us to understand how those you know, those aspects of the state interact to, to foster racism in society and ultimately divide workers amongst themselves. Mm. And, and I remember the Mark Duggan case very well. And I remember at the time the media uh, and, the, and the police claiming that he was one of the most wanted men in Europe, which was just completely ludicrous, made up out of nowhere. But it shows you the extents that the, the media, that the capitalist media, the state and so forth will go to to, to lie in order, as you say, to, to distract workers, to divide them. Now, another thing about the Mark Duggan uh, incident was obviously, as you said, it, it led to these huge riots, mainly in London uh, in 2011, uh, you know, nine years ago now. Um, and at the time, it was it was a movement uh, that was, you know, obviously full of anger and, and you did see kind of uh, looting and burning of buildings and so forth. But now you see this protest and it seems, uh, you know, it's, it's peaceful, it's but it's powerful. It seems very uh, focused. It seems... A, you know broader and and I'd say you know it feels different from from back then nine years ago what do you think has changed in terms of uh, the, the 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 movement against racism over the last decade yeah I think you know one of the most important differences I suppose is that this movement that we're experiencing right now of, of Black Lives Matter is it's international it's a global phenomenon that has you know, spread all across the world. Obviously, we saw protests in, you know, all 50 states of America. And I think there have now been protests in around 18 countries. And I think it's because it's linked to a, a broad feeling of injustice and accumulated anger. You know, one, you know, there's, there's the anger around coronavirus and, and the stress and anxiety that that has caused and has been the burden of which has been put onto the working class of the world. Um, but on top of that, you know, this has come off the back of a decade of crisis uh, and, and austerity, which has hit black people especially hard. And and so I think that this global movement that has developed is really, you know, uh, is coming off the back of all of that, of all of that anger. And, and I would also say that that the movement today, it seems it seems more political. And, and that's linked to what I was describing. That's saying that's linked to 10 years of crisis, 10 years of austerity, because people learn from experience and they learn from the way that they're treated. And, and not all of them, I would say, and it's true that there is a, a layer, you know, some people within the Black Lives Matter movement who um, don't want it to be as political, right, with, with kind of you know, in, the, in that direction, um, which I think is the wrong way, in, in my opinion. I don't think that's the way forward. Um, but but when people come together in the, in the way that we've seen with these protests from all walks of life, and I mean, you were talking about this at the start, it's overwhelmingly young people, black and white, and, you know, coming up to stand up against police in, in the videos, there's loads of videos that we've seen, uh, you know, from all around the world of this happening. You know, one of the, the chants that's come out, you know, this is more specifically around America. One of the chants is, who do you serve and who do you protect? 
I think that's a really important slogan and a really important difference that we've seen in these movements than what's in this movement, sorry, than, than what's taken place in the past, because the capitalists work extremely hard, I would say, to make the state seem above the class struggle. The state is supposed to be a neutral force and, and you know, we all are treated equally under the law. But I think these protests and police brutality, capitalism has exposed that actually that's not true. The state has lost its veil of independence. Who do you serve is a class question. And it's, it's asking the police officers, which side are you on? And, and I think that's very significant and it, and it needs to be amplified because I think that represents a development of, of this movement if we compare it to, to what was happening in, in not only 2011, but other, other movements um, you know, around, especially concerning Black Lives Matter, the killing of, of Michael Brown in particular, Ferguson, those protests from a couple of years ago. I think it's reached a new stage and they're bigger and they're much more powerful and there's more people involved. And, and that means the ruling class is scared. And I think we can see that um, from their responses to, to the protests. And, and one of the things you talked about there was that one of the reasons that, that we're seeing such a bigger movement now is that it's broadened out against not just police uh, violence, but also all of the inequalities and injustices that, that we see in capitalist society over housing, over jobs, all of these things. And obviously one of the big inequalities we've seen in the pandemic, uh, and you wrote a very good article about this for, for Socialist Appeal uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, is on this question of, of the death rate and the fact that BAME communities have seen much higher death rates uh, than, than, than white communities. Uh, and, uh, you know, can you explain a little bit then more about this? Why have we seen this big injustice? What does it reflect? Yeah, you're right that the, the protests are about, and that's part of the anger, right, is this inequality that I would say first and foremost is inherent to capitalism. You know, capitalism uh, relies on racism, as I've described. And so I would say that coronavirus has exacerbated all of those structural issues that exist in society. And then the combination of being both black and working class is causing higher rates of death amongst the BAME community. You know, if we take for example, staff in the NHS, care workers, bus drivers, cleaners, refuse collectors, you know, these are all typically low paid, um, precarious, you know, jobs, definitely precarious working condition conditions. And structural racism means that if you're BAME, you're more likely to work in those sectors, you're more likely to have those jobs. There's a statistic that says a third of all um, black Africans uh, work in key worker roles, for example. And so the result that we have is the relative death amongst working class BAME communities is going to be higher than its white counterpart. And there's different examples of this. Um, Belly Majinga, for example, who uh, unfortunately passed away. And she's also, and on these protests, by the way, on these Black Lives Matter protests in the UK, they're saying her name. They're saying the names of, of Belly Majinga. Um, there's, a, there's another black woman called, unfortunately, I've forgotten her surname just now, but it's, it's Kayla, I, Kayla something, who was a refuse collector who um, died of coronavirus. And she actually called 999, described the symptoms, and she was told she wasn't a priority. And I believe it's it's the combination of, okay, where did she, where was she most at risk? Well, it's partly because of her job. And then it's partly because of her, her social conditions of being black that puts her at the bottom of the pile. And, and I think that's really what we need to understand when we're talking about this. I mean, the Tories, there was a report into 
into um, uh, the, the high death rate amongst BAME communities. And the Tories, you know, kind of said, well, we'll have to get to the bottom of this. You know, why is this taking place? But it seems quite clear to me. And there are people that there are theories around it potentially being a genetic issue to do with biology amongst um, BAME people, Black and Asian people more specifically. And if those theories prove to be correct, which is that they are more at risk and more susceptible to getting the disease, then it's more of a reason for us to demand and, and criticize the Tories for not giving us adequate PPE, for not giving workers what they need in order to do their jobs effectively. And that is where we have to we have to put the blame. You know, that the Tories are very cynically at the moment trying to use the, the you know, the stress around coronavirus to condemn the protests and condemn, you know, Black Lives Matter, saying, oh, you're gonna cause a second wave. But we understand very clearly that all of the deaths and all of the excess deaths rather that, that take place as a result of coronavirus lie at the hands of the Tories who did absolutely nothing to prevent this from taking place. And that and that goes for the BAME community as well. And, and that's it, isn't it? That to get rid of this uh, excess death, this, this incredibly high death toll amongst BAME communities, we want to lower the death rate across the board, don't we? You know, and that's what socialism is about. Is, is trying to raise living standards for everyone and, and tackle the root of this problem, which, as you say, the Tories with their austerity, their hubris, that's, you know, that's their incompetence that's led to this high death rate, uh, you know, for Britain as a whole. And in particular, as you say, for BAME communities and for the working class who are being sent to their death. And I guess that leads into the next question, which is, um, you know, as as the national organiser for the Marxist Student Federation, you've obviously, uh, you know, spoken to a lot of student activists, young people who are on these demonstrations. And what kind of slogans uh, are Marxist activists putting forward on these demonstrations? What kind of slogans do you think we should be putting forward uh, in the fight against racism and, and in the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, so I think, you know, I think the main slogan and, and the points that activists, that Marxists are trying to raise on these protests is essentially that capitalism is racist, right? The Malcolm X, Malcolm X said it himself, you can't have capitalism without racism. And, and, and these things and, and questions of racism on a surface level can be linked uh, to, to the capitalist state and, and what it's doing. And I think what we have to understand, because again, it's not just about the violence of the police, right? The, the the violence and, and the you know the graphic you know horrific murder of George Floyd for example in such a in such an undignified horrific way in which that man died but I would say that violence is just the final expression of an entire system that is designed to uphold capitalism and and to keep black people at the bottom of society and to keep the whole of the working class um, oppressed essentially and when and, 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 you know, because it's not just about the violence of that police officer, because once those police officers are finished, you know, killing someone, they go back to their, you know, station and they fill in their form saying, you know, man dies after altercation. Right. And, and it's a tick and it's a box ticking exercise because this happens all the time because the system allows it to. In fact, the system relies on it. And, and, and it's, it's entirely designed in, in that way. And so it's not just enough. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the protests come up with the demand that we need to charge, uh, we need to charge the cops, charge the police officers and arrest them. And that's absolutely true. Of course, these people need to face justice. But what happens if that, what happens when that takes place, right? What happens next? Just, when, just because those police officers go, 
it doesn't mean that the, the problem has gone away, right? Those police officers are going to be replaced with someone else. They're going to be replaced with someone else who's going to act in the same way because it's the entire system that is rotten. The entire system is built on it and it's the entire system that needs to go. And that system is capitalism, the police force of which is a part of. And, and I think we have to link those two things together. That's why we link capitalism and racism on these demos because if we want to end racism, we have to end capitalism. And when we say capitalism is racist, Yes, we're talking about the violence of police officers, but we're also talking about housing. We're talking about jobs and the social reality of being black and what that means. The two things have to be linked because the two causes are linked. In fact, the cause, you know, the struggle for black liberation is dependent on ending capitalism, I would say, and, and fighting for socialism um, um, beyond anything else. So what would you say finally to, to end tonight? Because, uh, you know, it's been uh, an incredible discussion. We really appreciate you coming and speaking. Um, but just to end tonight, what do you think then is the way forward for the Black Lives Matter movement in the US, in the UK and internationally? Yeah, so as I said earlier, I think what's really positive is the this, this movement that has developed. Is, it's much more it's much more political than it has been in the past. And I think it needs to take it needs to stay on that path. It needs to have an understanding, first and foremost, of where capitalism come of capitalism, sorry, of where racism comes from, and understand that the role that capitalism plays in that process. And understand what the state is, right? We understand as Marxists that the state is organized violence and it institutionalizes exploitation and oppression. And it also has a monopoly over violence. People are talking about, you know, violent protesters, looters, burning buildings or whatever, which is nothing in comparison to the violence of the state, which is allowed to kill at will. And we're seeing this on, from the protests that have developed, peaceful protests, by the way, with overwhelmingly young people standing, you know, for a cause that they believe in. And there's tear gas, they're being beaten up. There's plenty of videos online that show all of this. And the movement so far, you know, has won certain victories. In, for example, you know, in the case of George Floyd, the the officers were were arrested and charged, and there will be a trial. And I think it's likely that they will face, you know, quite heavy sentences. And various other cases of police brutality that had previously been closed um, are now being opened again. Obviously, we saw the video of the statue being brought down. It's true that these these victories have taken place, but we don't want this to peter out into nothing. And I would say that more than anything, if we want to beat this system of racism, if we want to beat capitalism, we have to be organized. We have to be as organized as they are. Another Malcolm X quote, I've quoted him a lot. Um, he said that we're not, he says that we're not outnumbered, we're actually out-organized, which is the fundamental point here. Because if Black Lives Matter developed in a way that it relied on the working class, it organized the working class, organized the millions of people that have come out onto the streets so far. It could be such a powerful movement. And, you know, because if we are organized, you know, it's, it's like what Malcolm X said, there are more of us than there are of them. And, and what the working class has more than anything is the entire economy. It has the economy in its hands and it can shut down everything. It could, it could paralyze and put a stop to the whole world. So if Black Lives Matter were to coordinate itself on that basis, on the strength of the working class, to organize a general strike across nations, that would strike a blow that no riot gear or, or guns or whatever the weapons that the, 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 the police have and the ruling class have um, could protect. And I think that's how we fight back. We fight back by organizing with the power of the working class, black and white, 
across you know nations and and by putting a fundamental break with the capitalist system forward i've heard um you know a revolution described as the masses entering the stage of history and isn't that what we isn't that what we're seeing in in some respect isn't that what's going to, isn't that what's necessary to happen people taking control of their lives which is necessary if we want to get rid of racism we need a revolution and so what I would say to anyone who's disgusted by society, disgusted by racism and desperate to do something of which we've, we've seen all these protesters, thousands of people in the UK and, and hundreds of thousands across across the world, then organize yourselves. And, you know, in the UK, obviously, we're organizing, we're Marxists, organizing in the labor movement. Join us and, and build something that actually is capable of, of getting rid of capitalism once and for all, because it's only on that basis that, that we will see an end to racism. Well, thank you, Fiona. I think that's an excellent message to end for, with tonight. Uh, thanks again for, for joining us on the show and uh, hopefully see you at these protests uh, or uh, somewhere else uh, at the next uh, big movement we see on the streets uh, in the future. But stay safe and healthy in the meantime. Thanks again for joining us. All right. Good night for now. And uh, as Fiona said, if, uh, if you want to get involved in the struggle for socialism and help us overthrow capitalism, this racist, rotten system, please head to socialist.net forward slash join to get involved and to, to join the Marxist Student Federation if you're a student uh, and to join Socialist Appeal if you want to join up with other Marxist activists in your area. I'd also like to invite all of our viewers and readers and supporters to an online uh, school that we're putting on this Saturday about Marxist economics with sessions about why capitalism goes into crisis, Marxism versus Keynesianism, and what the socialist alternative is to the current uh, depression and crisis that we're seeing all around us. Uh, so if you want to find out more details, head to Socialist Appeal Facebook page or socialist.net and uh, register there for this exciting day school that we're going to be putting on this Saturday so that we can understand the world in order to change it. We'll be back soon with uh, more theory, more analysis, more ideas, more interviews with activists from the movement. Uh, and in the meantime, obviously follow socialist.net for all of the latest articles and videos. Thanks to everyone who's joined us. Thanks again to Fiona. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marxist Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider, or visit our website at www.socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.